Welcome to Five Star Weekly, everybody. Atlanta United stumbled to a win over the battery with their next matchup coming against Columbus. Can they get their revenge over the crew? We discuss all of that and more coming up. Welcome to the show, Five Strike fam. I'm Tanner, this is Mark. AJ is currently sick and sounds like he's talking through an electrolarynx. If you don't know, it's like when you can't talk and it's the robot that, yeah, it's bad. Anyway, you kind of have us this week. I heard he lost his voice. I hope he finds it again, but um, that's my dad joke for this episode. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there in Atlanta. Wherever it is you get your pods, subscribe, share, and leave us a good rating. You can also find all our content on the Jinico USA platform anywhere in the world on Amazon Fire TV, Roku, iOS, Google Play, and many other streaming platforms. Guys, just want to start off by apologizing for the episode being so late this week. The weather in Atlanta United's schedule did not behave, but we're going to jump right into it. Atlanta had that fourth round matchup against the Charleston Battery that was originally delayed and then canceled in Charleston on Tuesday because the weather was crap and the pitch was much, much worse. After about 24 hours of no one really knowing what was going to happen, they ended up rescheduling the match for Thursday night at Fifth Third Bank, but with the caveat of it being behind closed doors. One of those really weird occasions in soccer where absolutely no one is in the stands except for maybe a few of the players that weren't playing and some media members. So that was pretty wild and it definitely underwhelmed for most of the occasion. Yeah, it sure did. So they attempted to play in Charleston. There were no suitable pitches in the area because no. it apparently poured. Oh, it did. I was in Columbia for those two days. It rained constantly there. My dad was in Charleston and it rained constantly there. And it doesn't help that that stadium is built in a swamp. <laughs> So, I mean, like, there were, like, very few options. And I, I do feel bad for the fans that lost out on this, the Charleston fans that would have probably seen oh, an exciting match. Absolutely. My pops was, he he works in Charleston. Um, he does film work down there. And he said he, he was at the match. He got there. He had his five-stripe shirt with him. He said there was a great atmosphere. It would have been sure. a packed house. And then he gets to the ticket booth to buy a ticket because you could still buy them at the door. Yeah. And that's when he found out it was canceled. So he was pretty bummed out. So there was a lot of five-stripe fans and Charleston Battery fans and actually a bit of crossover as well for fans yeah. of Charleston that are also fans of Atlanta United. Sure. Yeah. So it's kind of a shame that it happened, but at the same time, after you know the debacle that was Columbus with a terrible pitch, yeah. Atlanta United were never going to risk playing their players. And it was a strong 11 from Frank DeBoer, and you're not going to risk that playing on a pitch that has sand holding it together in certain places. No, I mean, <laughs> you could see it from the television. I'm sure you could see it from the stands. There, Doug Robertson tweeted out that a match official ran and slid for a while, quote yeah, unquote. Yeah, I don't. It's not. Like, it did not look good. No. So it obviously wasn't playable so they had to play it behind closed doors and yes it was it was a dull atmosphere yeah I mean I, I think that has a lot of things that went into that I think that Atlanta United didn't want it to necessarily be an unfair advantage of having the fans there but also to try to turn something around in 48 hours to get the staff yeah. get the local police and everything to be able to function a match and have you know eight ten thousand people there because right. you knew it would have been a packed house I don't think the logistics came together so unfortunately it was played behind closed doors but for the match itself let's get into that yeah. Atlanta United win three to one, but it did not start off very good because Charleston took the lead in the 20th minute off just, I don't know what was happening with Atlanta United. Franco Escobar loses the ball, gets into the middle, Alec Can is out of goal, yeah. and the guy has a fantastic first time finish into the bottom corner. It was hard to understand what Escobar was actually trying to, I mean, he tried to let it run through his legs, yeah. but it just, it wasn't the time, and uh, yeah, I mean, Khan is kind of out of position. It is a nice finish to be fair to uh, Svetson, Svan, Svan, Sorry for butchering his name. He's a battery player. He'll that was, get over it. Yeah. <laughs> he scored a good goal. And, yeah, he uh, took it really, really well. I mean, you, 
In my defense, you can't really blame Alec Kim because he's yeah. not, I mean, he just exactly. played the ball out exactly. and he doesn't expect Escobar to immediately lose it and put his team under pressure. Yeah. And, to be fair, in, in Charleston's defense, they played some good stuff throughout this entire match because they ended up holding Atlanta United all the way until the 79th minute when Romario Williams finally poked home from a range that I don't think I could have missed from. Right. Um, the keeper, who had been playing really well, misreads a, a ball on a cross sure. from Petey off of a corner. Miles Robinson wins a header. Yeah. And Romario's there to poke it home. 1-1, happy days, crisis averted for, them, for that point in time. Sure, yeah. I mean, they still have to go to extra time. And I mean, it's a good thing that the Open Cup is in the middle of a not busy part of the schedule. Yeah. But, you know, so at least, you know, they won't they won't have to pay for it with like let's say there's an MLS match on the weekend. However, this is a team you think they should have put away in uh in regular time, but I mean the whole match was a struggle like you said. They spent most of that match down. So Yeah, I mean in Charleston's, you know, case as well, they were absolutely exhausted. They've been they played it already the weekend before because the USL schedule has not stopped. So they're playing. They also were missing some of their players who had gotten called up to international competitions as well. So they were under man, under strength. They lose a guy to injury in the first 10 minutes. So they defended really, really well, but at the same time, they created a lot of chances because this match went into extra time and Brandon Vasquez finally does get a goal. But yeah. almost before I forget, before you even get into extra time, Charleston's on a break, attacking Atlanta United's 18 when the referee blows the whistle to end regulation. Charleston players immediately swarm the ref who didn't have a good game, but he's a USL yeah. ref, so yeah. can't really expect much there. But I mean, they easily could have taken the lead in the very last kick of the game, but the referee bailed Atlanta United out. Yeah, that was that was shocking. I mean, like, and we, we talk about refs on here a lot, but that was honestly one of the most shocking decisions, whistles I've ever seen. I mean, it's always, especially when time hasn't officially run out or if it's just hit that three minute mark, it's always the commentators will say at least three minutes or whatever Absolutely. it is. Because you let certain plays run. Charleston should have been able to at least see out that attack. And the fact that they weren't able to, yeah, that was really shoddy refereeing. Yeah, again, that's the standard of things. But Brandon Vasquez is brought onto the pitch for Atlanta United, yep. and he is the one to make the difference, to get that go-ahead goal, which he gets in the 100th minute. On an assist from Justin Miram, his first assist for Atlanta United, he actually looked quite good in this match. We'll talk about him in a bit. Yep. But Brandon Vasquez takes the ball down, controls it really well, rounds the keeper and taps home. 2-1, you feel really good, but then almost, you know, immediately they're put back under pressure from Charleston, yeah. who have multiple chances. They first have a goal ruled out for offside, which yeah. was really tight and it was a good goal. And then they have another chance where they chip Atlanta twice, where they chip it over the back line, yeah. and then the striker chips it over Alec Cannon, it hits off the crossbar, and you're looking there going, oh my goodness gracious, yeah. what is happening right now? When the ball is like trickling or like coming down slowly, I, oh my gosh, if they had tied the game oh. at that moment. You I feel would've. bad for him, it was a great effort, a good idea, and it was, the, the, the original ball to the, to the striker was fantastic, and to yeah. be able to take the chip on with, with the keeper coming out at him, it was yeah. well done, but it just, it didn't come off, and I'm sitting here just going, okay, clearly Atlanta United need to get another one, and they do in the 121st. Yeah. Brandon Vasquez gets another goal with a fantastic ball across the box from Justin Miriam, yep. pinpoint accuracy. Maybe that's a bit of a connection there, who knows? Yeah. And you take the 3-1 lead, the match is done and dusted at that point, but far from convincing for Atlanta United. And I think that it can be understandable because they haven't played in a few days, but at the same time, you had a very, very strong lineup. You're missing a few players like Joseph Martinez, yeah. but you still think with PT Martinez, there's enough quality on, on the pitch to be able to get something done. He did play well, Brick Shea played well, you had some other players play well, yeah. 
but they couldn't find that final ball, that final pass, or be able to finish any chances they did create. And they really limped their way through a match against a far inferior opponent. No disrespect to Charleston, who played very well, but I mean, they're mid-table in USL, and Atlanta yeah. United is a current MLS Cup champion. So. I, I mean, I think it's fair to say we expected more out of Atlanta, especially when a, a player like Petey, uh, you know, we, we say all the time, South American Player of the Year, but a player of his quality versus a team like Charleston, I'm not gonna lie, I expected a little more. Uh, for me, he underwhelmed, I would say, in the first half and then grew into the match a bit. I didn't necessarily uh, think he played horribly, but again, right, I think sure. the point of exactly. he's playing against Charleston Battery, if there was a team that he could take a game by the scruff of the neck on, it would be this one. I guess in his defense, though, Charleston were parking the bus hard yeah. throughout this game. But sure. that's why you pay the money for a player of his quality, because he's supposed to be that guy who can unlock any box. It's just, I felt like this was a game we would get highlights from Petey. You know what I mean? Like, I thought this was a game we would get sauce from. Maybe like a sweet goal, a sweet assist, something like that. And, and maybe that's high expectations on my part. But, you know, at the end, he looked like a good player in this game, in a game where I thought he would maybe dominate a little bit. Be an outstanding or a exactly, great player. Exactly, I mean, he, he did get an assist or was credited with that hockey assist on the yeah. first goal. It was a good delivery. And it was a good delivery. He yeah. had a lot of chances to put balls into the box in this match, but as everyone who watches this is mostly aware of, Atlanta United are woeful on set pieces, and you don't really expect any of them to ever be converted, even if he does put a good ball into the box. Yeah. He had a good free kick that was saved to the keeper's low right as well, so I definitely think he grew into the game, but I agree with you. I think this is, I talked about it in the preview, I thought he would score a couple goals against Charleston and really sure. you know, stamp his authority on this match because I felt that this was, again, one, he could do that, but unfortunately, him and really the rest of the team didn't play well. Breck Shea had some good moments, yeah. although he did whiff on one ball yeah. later in the game. It was just like, oh no. Yeah. He had one really good shot that the keeper made a good save on. Yeah. But I think aside from that, the, the team really did underwhelm. And, but the, the it, subs came good. on. The yeah. subs came on, yes. The subs came on and made a difference. Vasquez, it's great to see he's uh, returning from injury, so it's great to see him back in action and uh, taking those two goals and taking them well. And for Justin Mayer, who has just joined the team, and I think it's a really positive sign that he's made himself a part of the 18 mm -hmm. so quickly. The fact that he has been trusted to come into games uh, and come to games at a key moment. I mean, he came in when Atlanta, I believe, were still down at the mm -hmm. time. So, I mean, he, he, and he ended up kind of had a match-winning performance. Absolutely, he, he had two balls uh, that were obviously converted into assists, and I believe he created four chances in his time on the pitch. Yeah. He did really, really well, and, and I was, I was impressed with that. And I think the. The confidence is important for him. Absolutely. And at the end of the day, Atlanta United did grind out a result in this match, which we'll see Justin Mira make a return trip to Columbus. We will break that match down at the end of this podcast, but kind of summing this match up, there's a few things that after the match that were said. Brandon Vasquez said, it definitely helped my confidence. Been out a couple months now. Definitely good for me and my mentality coming on is right where I want it to be. So I think it's good for Brandon Vasquez because he comes on, he gets two goals, he has been out a while. I don't think he has scored since that match against uh, Real Salt Lake back in the first season for Atlanta United. And he's oh. a player that has had a lot of promise and, and, and there were some expectations on him to develop, but he has had those issues with injury. Now he's back in the side for the US Open Cup and he takes two goals and that's one way to get yourself involved with the first team is when you get an opportunity, take it. And he absolutely did that in this match. Yeah, I mean, and the opportunity is there because Joseph is away and you know, Romario, he played in this match, and yes, he did eventually score, but he started, and he's one of those players that maybe were not was not as good as we expected him to be. So Brandon Vasquez comes on, 
and he's able to make the difference in the match. And yeah, that's a huge boost of confidence for him. And you know, maybe maybe he works his way into the depth charge of the team and you never know. All those those chances, you know, those players who take those chances, those are the ones who end up having a, a good career or a long career. Absolutely, and he is a younger guy, but he gives you a different dimension. He is bigger, he is a bit more physical than really other strikers that you have. Yeah. So if he can continue to play well, then maybe, yeah, he can force his way into the 18 for, for Frank DeBoer and present an option off of the bench. Uh, after the match, Justin Miram also had something to say in his, I would say, almost man of the match performance, getting those two assists. Yeah. How can you change the game? How can you come in and contribute and help the team? Fortunately, I think all the subs did that tonight. And I think he has a point. Every player that came onto the pitch by Frank DeBoer, was brought onto the pitch by Frank DeBoer, ended up making a difference and ended up doing something that helped Atlanta United get that victory when they needed it because the starting 11 were struggling, you didn't have a good match, and that's the point of subs. So I think you have to give Frank DeBoer props as well for making those changes when he did to bring those guys on because at the end of the day, it did make a difference. Yeah, and I think that uh, this quote from Miriam really reflects a mature mentality, especially about the role of a sub within a team. I think that Miriam knows that he's going to spend most of the season coming off the bench and he you know he knows that he's always going to have maybe 25 30 minutes to make an impact and so you know he's he's coming in ready to you know impact you know he's he's tuned into the game even from the bench basically. absolutely he's an experienced player at yeah. mls who's had some really really good seasons things haven't been going his way in the past few seasons but he made that move to atlanta united they're one of the best teams in the league. He adds that experience, depth, and quality. And if he can find a little bit of form, especially coming off of the bench, it never hurts to have an experienced veteran who can do a thing or two to help you make a result when you need to. Exactly. So it was good for good to see him come on and do well. Good to see Vasquez come on and do well. Good to see Atlanta get the win, even though they did not play well. And this was actually their first win of the season when they conceded a goal. So that's something new and different. Who okay. knew? Took the US Open Cup to do it. But yeah. first time they've conceded and won a game this season. So I guess to tie it all together, a win's a win, didn't look great. Columbus on Tuesday, have to improve, but into the next round of the US Open Cup. So guys, <clears> let's <throat> get into the news. Joseph Martinez was eventually called up to Venezuela's full Copa America roster, and he is away with them on duty right now. They unfortunately drew nil-nil today. Do you think he could have possibly come on and helped change the game for them? So, uh, I didn't get to watch this match, but I did watch the timeline. What I noticed was that Venezuela had a player sent off. And uh, it was before they made their second and third subs. I think that Joseph could have been one of those subs, especially as it was a nil-nil match at that point. Maybe when they went down a man, they thought their next sub after that red card was a defender. So, maybe at that point they were thinking, let's just get the result and go home. Absolutely. So, uh, but he could have, he could have made an impact, absolutely. And especially in a, in a game with no goals, like yeah. Joseph gets you goals. Peru is a decent side, but I mean, Venezuela and them, I'd say they're probably pretty comparable in terms of talent. Probably. And Joseph Martinez, for as good as he is for Atlanta United, he is behind a striker that plays in the Premier League for Newcastle United and Solomon Rondon, who is a big physical presence. And in a competition like Copa America, if you can have someone throw their weight around like him, exactly. he's gonna do some good for you. For me, to be perfectly honest, I'm glad he didn't come on. I hope he plays zero. <laughs> minutes in the Copa America. This is no offense to him, but I want him to be healthy because one thing I definitely think we did learn from that Charleston match is that if Joseph went down or if Joseph isn't there, you might find a struggle to find anyone to play up top you, and be anywhere close to being productive like him. The only thing though is, you know, early on this season he was having, he was having struggles, maybe a little bit rusty, and I just worry that if he has too long of a layoff, that may happen again. I, and, you know, also for his emotions, I'm sure he wants to play. Absolutely. Know? So if he gets 30 minutes here or there, not That's too much fine. time though. Not too too much. much. I mean, if he comes on <laughs> 30 minutes or so, scores a couple of goals, they go out at the group stage, 
I'm happy with that. Yeah. He's not injured at all, comes back to Atlanta United, and happy days for all. Now, speaking of Copa America even more, Miguel Almiron did a little goal celebration today when Paraguay scored a goal that probably tugs on the heartstrings of a lot of Five Strike fans and the previously mentioned Joseph Martinez. After the goal that they scored, he did the fusion celebration, and for me, I just, I feel wrong seeing that from him with someone else. It just, it, it doesn't seem right to It me. felt like cheating. It's like, it's like, is Joseph my boy? Should I like let him know what his, what his partner's doing? I don't know, man, but, but no, in all seriousness, we, we missed the guy. Yeah, miss I mean, at least he's happy, fusion. although I prefer him still doing the fusion in the five stripes, and I don't think Joseph has that connection with anyone on the roster now, but then again, he kind of says it's kind of impossible to get. But moving on to Atlanta United and the Academy, the director, Tony Annan, has signed a contract extension, which is good news to hear for Atlanta United. As you've probably been following recently, the Academy is doing some great things with the U14s, winning the Man City Cup. Haha, ha, go screw yourself, City. Cough, cough. <laughs> um, and then, yes, I'm a suffering Man United fan. If you didn't know, and right now, my life sucks. It's a lot of suffering. <laughs> it's a lot of suffering. But the U17s, and I believe the U19s have made the playoffs as well and are participating in those. So the Academy is doing great things, and Tony Annan has signed a new contract with Atlanta United. Also, the parlay kit auction that happened after that Earth Day match, those kits were auctioned off that were worn by the team during the game, and they have raised a total of $14,915.80 for conservation efforts in, uh, in uh, conjunction with the Georgia Aquarium. So that's good stuff. And to get to the dad jokes, like the horrible one that Mark made earlier, if you have not seen Atlanta United release a dad jokes video, Featuring some of the Five Stripes technical staff and players, you have Darren Eels versus Frank DeBoer. Darren Eels laughs at everything. Frank DeBoer, being Dutch, has a pretty good poker face. You've got Donington Nagby versus our captain, Michael Parkhurst. Parky, pretty good stuff in there as well. And then my favorite, which probably is, I assume, everyone's favorite. Has to be. You have Jeff Lorenowitz versus Brad Guzan, the two biggest of dads, I imagine, to ever dad for Atlanta United. I think if you could think of like a stereotypical player that you had to pick to be dad, it would be Jeff Lorenowitz. Oh, just yeah. all the jokes from holding the new, reading the newspaper on the bus to Charleston this past weekend. What was really funny was actually how many jokes everyone made like against Brad Guzan. Yeah. Like, so you had Parky and Nagby constantly joking about, you know, one of the jokes was, uh, who who has two right feet and terrible hands? And Darlington Nagby goes, Brad Guzan. <laughs> wow. Oh, man. They're mean. It's just like throwing some shade at him. And it's like, bro, come on. That's not nice. <laughs> but it is funny. Yeah. Also, I learned that um, uh, Frank DeBoer can smile and laugh. Who knew? He has emotions? Yeah, I know. <laughs> who who knew? Our Frank? Yeah, our Frank DeBoer <laughs>, laughs. I mean, yeah, never would have imagined that. So speaking of laughing, let's get into the transfer rumors. And there were some transfer rumors following Ezekiel Barco's fantastic performance at the U20 World Cup. He was linked to numerous teams, including Arsenal, but I think all of us in our gut had a feeling that wasn't gonna happen. But Darren Eels did have something to say on the matter. During his interview with Ricky Bevington, Darren Eels had this to say. Ezekiel Barco will definitely be here until the end of this season. There's actually no doubt about that. Barco's been a great case about these players aren't robots. Different players take different times to settle. Barco is now producing what we hoped he would when we first signed him, and he's got a really exciting future ahead of him. The reality is, if he keeps playing like this, I have no doubt we'll get lots of calls, whether it's Napoli, Manchester United, Arsenal, Real Madrid. We're going to get big clubs after him, and I'll have fun then sitting back and pitting them against each other. 
So I think that all of us understand the fact that Ezekiel Barco is another one of those players like Miguel Almiron, who's young, who will improve, and will then look to make that move to Europe for a very large payday. He had a fantastic performance again at the U20 World Cup, in addition to his already improved performances for Atlanta United this season. Yeah. But I think some people may have gotten a little bit nervous because of how well he was playing and his star growing so quickly that he might be sold before then. But he's going to be here at the end of the season, which I think is the right move. Yeah. So maybe another January transfer, maybe a midsummer next season. Who yeah. knows? But I think Darren Eels, who again negotiated the Gareth Bale sale, is going to be very let's say intrigued by the numbers that start coming in for him. He, he Darren Eels is, I laugh because Darren Eels has always got to stoke the fire. He's talking about Real Madrid, he's talking about Man U. I mean, we'll, we'll see, but European, we know for a fact that European teams are interested in Ezekiel Barco, and that's, that's fantastic news for Atlanta United. I think you're starting to see a model uh, take form here in Atlanta. It's two years, you know, mm. you, and this is something that he can now, Darren Eels and Carlos Bocanegra can now turn around and market to young and up and coming South American players. Come to Atlanta for two years, get you moved to Europe. Uh, a case like Ezekiel Barco is actually great because he did not come here and light the league on fire like Amaron did. Well, he's also younger. He came over at 18 years old. So exactly. He's a younger player who needed that time to develop. And I think everyone, his struggles last season were well noted. But with a year of maturity, another year of being in a city, in a team, and I think with the coach now that's putting a lot more emphasis on the play going through him, mm -hmm. he's really started to blossom. And I think that it's, again, it's a good sign for Atlanta United fans and with what the team wants to accomplish and win this season. But at the same time, you're in a boat where it's like another player who, he's come good, you start to form an attachment to them, yeah. and now they're possibly going to be moving to Europe. Yeah. Unfortunately, how Darren Neal has said, it's the food chain. And I think this is justification for what Atlanta has done in investing $15 million in a young player. Even though he struggled at first, you know that he could have won a couple good months or a good tournament like the U20 World Cup, and his value is right back up. And honestly, he's probably going to be sold for more than Niggy was. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that's another reason why a lot of fans didn't expect him to be sold this season is because of that sell-on clause that Atlanta United had with Independiente, mm -hmm. and I think it being 30% of whatever fee Atlanta United received, they'd have to then give 30% of that to Independiente, and another, I believe, 30% or so to MLS, which means they most likely would not have been making a profit even if they sold him for, say, $30 million this summer. Right. So I think, he, again, it's either going to be a January or possibly even a next summer type transfer for him, depending on what team comes in and what the needs of that team in Europe are with them being midseason. Yeah. So we shall see. Now moving on to another little bit of academy news in a sense, the BBC reports that ex-West Ham player and academy coach Jack Collison is joining Atlanta United in an unspecified role. Collison, without naming a team, said this on his departure from West Ham. An opportunity has come up overseas that will give me the chance to discover a completely different culture and a chance to give my family a new and exciting life experience at the same time. Now at this point in time, there's been no confirmation from Atlanta United over him joining the technical staff in any role whatsoever, but if the BBC is reporting it from people who follow transfers and news in Europe, the BBC is one of the most reliable, if not the most reliable source outside of club sources. So if they report it, it's most likely the case that he will be joining the staff. It will be good to see. He's most recently been involved in bringing through Declan Rice, who has made his debut with England um, during the Nations League finals. So he's a very exciting young player that's been linked to numerous clubs like Man United, Chelsea, all sorts of different teams. So he has experience bringing through and coaching young, talented players. Hopefully he can do a bit more of that at Atlanta United. Okay. Now this week being an extended week between pods and not as much Atlanta United news specifically, there are some other rumors that have come out with MLS about transfers that are pretty wild. 
Couple of them are with Miami, obviously a team that does not yet exist in terms of roster, sure. but they're trying to bring some names in. And the first one is pretty big, pretty wild. That is Inter Milan's Mauro Icardi to join Inter Miami. I give this about a 10% chance of happening, but I mean, it would be very exciting. I mean, this is a player who's in his prime. The reason why he's linked to Miami is because he's burned a lot of bridges. He and his wife slash agent, uh, Wanda. If you ever hear the name Wanda muttered in, uh... yeah, Italian. It's, <laughs> it's her. She, she's this weird thing where she's an agent for Mario Riccardi, his wife, and also she appears on like Sky Italia, I believe, and lots of Italian TV shows and stuff as a pundit to talk about matches. <laughs> and she has routinely thrown Mario, threw, uh, thrown Mario Riccardi's teammates under the bus. In fact, she made some comments earlier this season that he ended up not contradicting her on, which were very harsh towards his teammates, and he got dropped out of the side by the manager for those comments that his wife made. He didn't really apologize. Also, for those who don't know, his current wife was also the former wife of a teammate who he had a relationship with. So in terms of being a team player, well, a lot of his teammates aren't really a fan. So yeah, teams in Europe aren't really keen to splash the cash on him, even though he was Inter Milan's captain up until his wife made those comments. And yeah. by all accounts, is one of the best strikers in world football. He's very clinical inside of the 18 yard box. And yeah. when he gets a chance, he usually takes it. The last couple of seasons, he's had excellent goal returns, but keep this in mind, he doesn't. He wasn't even called up for Argentina in the Copa America to, because- To be fair, he's not called up for Argentina a lot of the time because you have like Sergio Aguero and this guy named Messi and his Inter Milan team at Latara Martinez as well, all very talented players who, well, they rock the boat a whole lot less. I think for him, yeah. Miami, if they could get the money, which it sounds like they should have with David Beckham's project, he'd be one of the most expensive players in the league, you know, especially if it's a post-Laton era. Yeah. That's a big statement by MLS though, if you could get a guy like that. The problem for me is the transfer fee because even though Inter Milan want to, to get rid of him this summer, especially Antonio Conte, if we know how he can be with strikers he doesn't want, Michu Diego Costa. Um, <laughs> He he's not gonna do well, I think, sitting on the bench or sitting there and enter. He will definitely have Wanda raise spray some some red flags and start causing a bit of a kerfuffle if he's not moved. But I don't know if Atlanta not not Atlanta if, if MLS or Miami I should yeah. say and former Atlanta United VP Paul McDonough can figure out a transfer fee that will make it acceptable for him to join MLS. I mean, he's a 50 million euro player, if exactly. not more, and exactly. MLS has not does not have that kind of money. And there's no way you see Inter Miami splashing the cash on someone like that out of the bat. Yeah, I think that that's and that's it. That transfer fee is restricted. Like even 50 million, it's it's so interesting where MLS is compared to Europe, right? Because 50 million euros for a player at this point is kind of a bargain or like you're getting a pretty decent I player. I think it's probably a low number for him if we're being perfectly honest. Right, I mean, it would be a, more if he didn't have the extra baggage. Yeah, I think it's the discount of we just want this guy off of our team. But now getting into another player that's probably more likely and that is former Manchester United right winger, right back, pretty much played wherever he needed to on the right side, Antonio Valencia. Antonio Valencia was released by Manchester United when they did not renew his contract after this past season. He suffered a lot from injuries. He started off his career as a very pacey and exciting right winger, but because Man United are terrible at doing anything right these days, he ended up being converted into a fullback like Ashley Young, again, because that club can't sign people properly. But at right back, he played decently for, for a little while, but his pace has really fallen off and he started to become very injury prone. That being said, I could kind of see him as a player that would fit in at Inter Miami just for the experience, the language. He notoriously never really learned English despite being the club's captain. Interesting. So he, I think he could fit in well at that club. I think he maybe he might give them a couple years, but it seems to kind of follow the older MLS models of bringing a, an older yeah. European player in. And I'm not sure if 
how good he'd be for them for how long, but he could provide some experience in the short term. You could have Orlando, not I mean, uh, Nani in Orlando City mm -hmm. and Antonio Valencia in Miami. They were really Hunters. good down the right for a little while, but I mean, you well, usually Valencia didn't play with Nani that much as a fullback, but yeah. both of them were exciting wingers for Man United, and both of them ended up washing out to one degree or another. <laughs> so how does it make you feel to see Man U uh, playing Man U players? Oh, well, I mean, you got, you got Wayne Rooney showing up in DC, so that was Zlatan kicking it with LA Galaxy <laughs> and a whole bunch of older tired guys playing in MLS because, well, they were on the books for a while at United because no one could figure out how to sign anybody. We're not here to talk about Manchester United because I'd be here all night. So, wow, well actually, funnily enough, our final rumor of the day is apparently a former, another former Manchester United player and Javier Chicharito Hernandez to join LAFC. I want to preface this by saying that uh, Chicharito was one of my favorite players at Manchester United and I loved that dude for a long time because he would score via kicking it off his own face or then score a backwards header or routinely he'd score winners against Chelsea to either win us leagues or get us to Champions League finals. Oh so aside from that, he has most recently been playing with West Ham United after a very successful but short spell with Bayer Leverkusen and now, I believe almost 30 years old or possibly 30, he's looking to make that move back over to the Western Hemisphere. He yeah. is a Mexican international and yeah. came through with Chivas. Do you think that fits LAFC? Uh, mm, I mean, it depends. I think, yeah, maybe, maybe, yeah. Because it, I guess it depends on who starts at striker. You know, would it be him? Would it be uh, Diame? Would it be uh, Christian Rodriguez? I mean, I, or Ramirez, excuse me. But yeah, I mean, Chicharito probably starts over those guys alongside Vela and Rossi. So it, that could be a pretty deadly combination because they could feed him. Or, you know, Vela already leads the league in goals. So. Absolutely. I mean, I think for them, it's he, he is a poacher. That's just what he does. Yeah. He's a fox in the box. He sits around in the 18-yard box, and he just basically, if he gets a ball, sees a ball, hits the ball towards the goal. And usually, especially when he's on form, it goes in. He was honestly incredible coming off the bench for Manchester United, and he was always a super sub that could get you something. So if they're trying to win an MLS Cup, I think it's a depth signing that yeah. if they can make the money work, depending on how much money he wants, then it could be a very decent signing and really up their, their, their team to the next level. And actually, I'm gonna throw one more signing in here because it's been rumored, there's nothing you know concrete about it, but it's also LAFC looking at a veteran player from Europe with Daniela De Rossi possibly being rumored to join LAFC. Now that was rumor that did the rounds on Twitter earlier last week as well, saying that apparently a contract was in place there for him to join. Mm. That would terrify me. That, I'm just gonna say, if he joined LAFC, he'd start immediately and be like, yep, wrap that up, they're done. Because they're yeah. already so good. If you put a guy like him who can play anywhere in midfield yeah. and is a genius on the ball, even Roma fans are still mad that he was allowed to leave. It'd be weird to see him in another kit but he would add so much to that team. He's a genius on the ball and he's physical. He would be their Eric Rometty mid-season signing of this season. Except, no offense to Eric Rometty, he's even at however mid-30, 36 or so, he's still better. I One mean, of the best holding midfielders in, coming out of Europe. Yeah, yeah, I mean. He could play everything though. It wasn't that he was just a holder. He yeah, could play sure. box to box, he could play in a team. He was Mr. Everything for Roma. Although, yeah. again, he was Mr. Roma almost because he grew up a fan, his father worked on staff. Sure. It's, it's weird, it'd be very weird to see him playing in a different shirt, but I think he's an incredible talent. It'd be great for MLS, but it wouldn't be great for teams trying to beat LAFC to the Supporters Shield or the MLS Cup. But that's gonna wrap it up on the rumors. We're gonna quickly touch on Atlanta United 2, who, well, they've not been doing so great recently. They dropped a 3-1 result to the New York Red Bulls 2 on June 6th, and then followed that up with a not so great 5-0 defeat to the Pittsburgh Riverhounds on June 15th. 
Things started off pretty well for Atlanta United too, but as of right now, they're still kind of struggling, having a lot of the chopping and changing in the lineup that we saw last season. But again, this is a lot of really young players, and most of the time they're playing against seasoned pros, especially on teams like Pittsburgh. So I think that it's there for development. You can't take too much of the result to heart. Yeah. But that being said, he's like to see him do a little bit better. Yeah, and just, it's also still the second season. I think this season is better than last season, but there's still a ways to go. I think it's going to take a while until the results are consistent, as well as the players coming through and consistent and so on. It's just, it's part of the setup. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that's it for Atlanta United 2, which will now get us into our match preview. And it is the Columbus Crew. It is on Tuesday at 7 o'clock at Matt Frey Stadium in Columbus, Ohio, and it will be on ESPN+. ESPN obviously signed a deal with the U.S. Open Cup to have all those games televised on ESPN, which is one of the reasons why you could not find a local, tele a local radio broadcast of the match because it's one of those weird stipulations. So, alas, no Mike Conti and Jason Longshore to listen to. You had to listen to whoever those two guys were talking during that Charleston Battery match. And at one point in time, I'm pretty sure we were talking about how a guy got sent off on a tournament in college once. So, yeah, oh yay. yeah. <laughs> great, great little tales right there. But it is again the Columbus crew. They they beat Atlanta United 2 0 in that slog fest, rain fest, absolute joke of a match earlier this season. That was probably had a lot to do with Atlanta United not wanting to play on that pitch in Charleston, if we're being perfectly honest. Yeah, it's this bad weather seems to keep following us around. Yeah, it, it was not good. In order to get to this round, they defeated <laughs> the previously mentioned Pittsburgh Riverhounds in the River, yeah, Riverhounds in the past round. And the winner of this match will advance to the quarterfinals to face either the winner of St. Louis or Cincinnati. So if Atlanta United can get a result in this match, they would have a very decent chance of advancing to a semifinal in the U.S. Open Cup. But to get into some of the match facts for this game, um, I think that it's important to note that despite that victory against Atlanta United, Columbus currently sit 10th place in the Eastern Conference. Caleb Porter and the boys are not having a good go of things right now. They're very inconsistent. They're shipping goals for fun, which I think makes that 2-0 win a bit of a blip on the radar in terms of a of an odd result happening because in terms of their play, it, it's not been a good season for Columbus. No, and they, you know, they have a lot of serious injuries that have done a number on their starting lineup. Yeah, uh, I mean, you got guys like Milton Venezuela, he's out, Harrison Awful, who broke his jaw in that match against Atlanta United, yeah. and I think most importantly, Federico Higuain, he has a torn ACL, he's also missing the rest of this season. Right. Um, and they also have a defender, Waylon Francis, is questionable with a thigh injury, and defender Josh Williams also has an undisclosed injury, so I doubt that those two guys feature either. So they've got a lot of guys down with injuries right now, so Atlanta United will be playing a weakened team, hopefully on a field that's not unplayable and not in absolutely ridiculous conditions. Right. So I think it really is important that Atlanta United, I think we'll see them build a strong 11 again, like they did so. against Charleston. It was a bit of a surprise to see that strong of an 11, but you gotta keep that match fitness during the international break. Yeah. So a strong 11, but they have to score first this time, I think. I think that's one of the keys for them, is if you let Columbus score first, then you're gonna allow them to bunker because I think that's what they're going to try to do. Yeah. Um, and, and if you allow that team to get up early, they're a better team than Columbus, and they're better on the break. And if they get their chances, they'll most likely score them. I think so, yeah. I mean, and they've already done it to Atlanta once. I and mean, you know, the the thing about the thing that was most frustrating about that uh, that previous matchup, other than the fact that it should not have happened because of the field, was that Columbus scored so early. They they scored early in the match, and then they scored after that restart uh, midway through the first half. So. I just think Atlanta, Atlanta has definitely improved since then, especially defensively. And so I think I'm in agreement with you that we'll see a strong 11. And so I think that we should be def better defensively, should not be shipping goals to this team. 
And yeah, absolutely you gotta score first. Most, we should be solid against this team, I think though. And should be able to control the play with if the players that we expect to start start. So I think the issue that really stands out is finishing chances. Yeah. Who's gonna take those chances? Who's gonna start up top? Because you still won't have a Joseph Martinez. And I think if Atlanta has another game where they're profligate with their finishing, it's gonna be a, a slog because again, Columbus, they are a better team despite these injuries, despite not playing well so far this season. It's US Open Cup. As you kind of can see, anything can happen. I mean, mm -hmm. Atlanta United lost to a USL side in their first season. So just because we're playing, you know, uh, just because it's the US Open Cup doesn't mean we can lose to anybody. You yeah. can. It's one of those things where if you aren't focused, there will be fans, some, in the stadium this time. Because playing behind closed doors is always a very weird atmosphere. When yeah. you've, every, you've listened to players talk about playing behind closed doors. They talk about how it's sometimes difficult to get going in games because that atmosphere, that that energy that kind of drives you from the crowd is missing. Sure. So I think another issue though that you face is the fact that it's a quicker turnaround. You play it on a Thursday night, you play on a Tuesday now, as opposed to playing on a Tuesday and a Tuesday and having a whole week in between. Yeah. You have a bit of a shorter rest because that match on Tuesday was initially delayed and then moved to Thursday. But in terms of injuries for or missing players for Atlanta United, George Bello is still out with that long-term injury. Joseph Martinez is, as we've previously stated, away on international duty with Venezuela. Tito Bijalba is kind of in an unknown uh, place right now in terms of his injury. Frank DeBoer's kind of talked about him being back hopefully by the end of the month. I'm not sure, mostly doubtful that he'll be involved in this match against Columbus. Mm -hmm. But in terms of injuries, those are the only guys that are out for this match. So with that being said, let's get into our starting 11. Um, I think both of us agree it's gonna be it's gonna be Alakan in net. I think that's gonna be a policy that you see a lot around in world football now where you see the goalkeeper rotated for cup matches. And honestly, he's been a constant professional. He knows he's not playing in MLS unless Brad Guzan goes down. Yeah. That being said though, do you still keep Brad Guzan out because he wouldn't have played for almost a month by the time the uh, the Montreal match rolls around? Or do you think it's still an Alakan? I think it's still an Alakan. I think that uh, Guzan, won't uh, he won't struggle too much to adjust because especially somebody his age I think he can you know especially and being a goalkeeper I think he can take a couple weeks off and then be back in and he'll be fine especially once he gets back into training so I say play Khan you know he's he's a good steward I think he deserves the opportunity and it wasn't his fault on the goal this past it week. really wasn't yeah yeah Escobar's got to do better in that situation absolutely so getting in getting into the back line then I think both of us have uh Franco Escobar playing again at right back I think yep. that's important against a better quality opponent I don't For really sure. know who else you stick there and now you're again you're playing an MLS team now so I think yeah. Franco Escobar's got to be the guy that and if Columbus are playing defensively, you know he's going to be overlapping, underlapping, and getting involved with the attack on the right-hand side. Yep. I think the center backs are going to be interesting. Both of us agree that LGP is going to start because he didn't play in the last match. Right. Match fitness is important, so I think he does play. But where we differ is who is his partner in defense. I have Miles Robinson because I think Atlanta United and Frank DeBoer are taking this competition seriously. But you have a bit of a surprise at who you have as his partner in center back. Yeah, I have a little bit of rotation. I'm, uh, I think he goes with Parkhurst. Parkhurst, we've seen more play fullback this year but I think uh, just to get you know Parker's the playing time give Robinson a rest and you know Parker's and LGP they they go back to the first season so they I don't think I don't think there'll be any issues with them playing together should be a pretty hand in glove we played together before we know how it is exactly. but I mean either than Michael Parker's first time playing as a center back from uh, from a starting position and it feels like months because he's been used at those fullbacks specifically at left back and at left back both of us have Brett Shea playing I think he played well against Charleston and I think he's really your only true option that you have to play at left back and he his performances in my opinion at least have been improving as the season's gone on not lighting the world on fire by any means sure but he has been playing 
Now getting into the midfield, I think that both of us are in agreement again on who's here, and it's gotta be that Nagby or Manny pivot. You've gotta yeah. have that dynamism, that energy, those legs there. And also if you need to kill a game or you need to experience, you can always bring a Jeff Lorenowitz exactly. on later in the patch. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought about uh, putting Lorenz in the lineup, but I think, yeah, coming off the bench is his role in this match. Yeah. yeah. So now we get into something that's really interesting in terms of the attacking part of Atlanta United. And these are the guys that will determine this game because I think Atlanta United will have a lot more of the ball and it'll be a lot more of a fluid flowing game weather permitting than this first matchup so you're still gonna be missing Joseph Martinez but that supporting cast behind him that midfield attacking three I think Ezekiel Barco is back I think he's gonna play in the 10 because he's yeah. back with the team he was at the match on Thursday watching from the stands he has had a little bit of a rest but he's been playing well I think he's want to continue to play well yeah. and you want him back in this side getting that chemistry back with his main with his club team exactly. after having that really fruitful spell with Argentina. Yep. Um, both of us have him playing as a 10. Yep. Both of us also have Dion Pereira starting again on the left-hand side. Yep. I don't think he had his best match against Charleston this past week though. Yeah, yeah, he was one player that I thought uh, we'd see a little more from. It's, it's it, you know, I think his game is consistent, uh, but you know, depending on who the opponent is, really dictates what kind of output we'll get from him. So I think Columbus might uh, set up well for him. The Columbus match might set up well for him though. Somebody who's a little more direct, somebody who's not gonna get as much attention as a Barco. Um, I think he should get his opportunities in this match to make an impact, I think. Yeah, I think his issues in, in the Charleston game was he kept trying to take people on and he couldn't really win his one-on-ones. He got tackled a few times, but yeah. we have seen that his directness and his ability in those one-on-one -on -one situations is usually better than it is not. And honestly, I can't really think of anyone else that you would put on that left-hand side because as we saw earlier in the season, PT and Barco with one of them on the left and the other in the 10 kind of ended up in the same position a lot yeah. of the time. Yeah. So now speaking of that, on the right where PT has been playing well, I have PT starting again because I want to see how him and Ezekiel Barco can play together, but you have two assist man from last match, Justin Miram starting on the right. Yeah, and this is uh, two parts for me. One, I think PT's played a lot, and so mm -hmm. I think it would be wise to maybe at least bench him for this. Maybe you bring him on if this match is a struggle, mm -hmm. and then you have that in your back pocket. Uh, and it's also rewarding Miram, and he played well. You know, he came on, he changed the match, he got two assists, and those two, those two balls really were fantastic. And I think he's shown the willingness to contribute to the to the attack and to be creative or make those risky passes. And you, you need somebody in the land to do that. So for me, Miriam starts against Columbus. Yeah, he also has a little bit of familiarity with it being his former team. And he's only been with Atlanta United for, I think, a month and a half at this point in time. Yeah. So it's a team that he is very familiar with very recently indeed. I still think for me, PT Martinez plays because I think you want to see how him and, and Barco can work with him with PT playing on the right and Barco in the middle. And they're two of your best players. And I think that if you can get them going, they can really carry you through this match because they are so technically gifted. And Barco is really starting to take those major steps in his development. Mm -hmm. And I feel like with PT, it's still a waiting game. And if he can start getting it going against anyone, especially in a match where he's gonna be playing against a team that hasn't been playing well, that's down players. If he can get a goal against an MLS side and play well against the Columbus crew, then yeah. maybe that form can then turn in to MLS form when everyone gets back together. So that now gets us to our striker. I have uh, Brandon Vasquez starting up top. I think after two goal performance, I'd love to see him play up there. Although I get that he does play on the wings mm -hmm. on the right. I think that he can do a job at striker. And for me, even though he did score, Romario Williams got caught off side way too many times for me mm -hmm. in the past match. And I think he had a few chances here and there where his touch maybe just didn't go the way it should have. Yeah. And in terms of rewarding players, if a player comes off the bench and scores two goals, 
I think you have to give him a chance. That's fair. And uh, yeah, I think my concern with Vasquez, at least starting, is uh, he's coming back from injury. And so I don't know if his match fitness is where he can give you an hour, maybe more. So for me, you go with Williams. Uh, you know, I, I do agree with you that he did not have his best match. I think in particular, his touch let him down at times when Atlanta needed good hold-up play. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, you know when a team is bunkering, the, the spaces are tighter, your touch in particular has got to be on point. So I think because of that, Romario struggled a little bit. All about that. Romelu Lukaku. <laughs> but yeah, oh, I man, mean, I, man, I, I, he, he, did get, he did get that goal. And I think yeah. he is a player that has been working hard. And I think that he does deserve a few more chances. But when he gets them, he has to make sure he takes them. And yeah. I think that if he plays again against Columbus and struggles again, that that's going to do him, I think, a little bit of harm with Frank DeVore because he's, you know, going, look, I've given you two chances and you haven't done anything. Yeah. I think Brandon Vasquez, you know, will play at some point in time in this match regardless. Both of them will play. I think so. Hopefully both of them can play and play well and snack a couple of goals. But that now gets us into our predictions. What do you got for this match, Mark? I'm feeling a little confident because I don't think Columbus is going to bunker quite as much as Charleston, especially being at home. Of course, they're an, they're an MLS team. They can offer a little more, even with the players that they're missing. So I think that this match will be a little better for Atlanta. I think they come away with this 2-0. 2-0. I'm going to personally go with the 2-1. I don't know why, but I just, I just have a gut feeling we're going to concede against this team, and it's going to be made closer than it needs to be. But I think that PT and Barco, especially with Barco being back on the side, I think he's going to take this game with a scruff of the neck. I think he's going to score. I'm, I'm hoping PT scores as well. If you get a Barco PT double and wins two one, bish bash bosh, onto the next round, onto the quarters, that'll have me feeling a pretty good way. I, I'm still, I'm excited for the idea of. PT, Barco, and Joseph all playing in the same side, but all of them finding form because Barco's found it. Joseph is clearly starting to find his form, and it's just that little bit. And you know, if they find it, all those guys are just so, so talented. And I think you could really start seeing the goals come in for Atlanta United. I think so. But that now gets us to our question of the day. And so our question of the day is this Do you value the Open Cup? Does winning this competition mean anything to you? Let us know in the comments. Tweet at us, get at us, let us know what you think. For me, I'd rather win it than not, just to add it to the thing. But, I mean, add it to the trophy cabinet, the thing. By the way, we should make our trophy cabinet out of that log that Portland left after the MLS Cup <laughs> final. Like, how glorious, I mean, it's it's a wonderful piece of wood. Those people in Portland know their timber very well. There's my dad joke. And they, I, I think it'd be pretty awesome. But if you can add the US Open Cup, you do it. But at the same time, the later rounds do happen in August. And the July and August stretch for Atlanta is just really, really tough. Yes. But again, if you can win anything, it's good. But at the same time, who won the US Open Cup last season? Houston. I couldn't tell you. That's it for us today. Remember to subscribe to us if you haven't already, share this episode, and leave us a review and a rating so we can pop up higher in your rankings. And for Mark, I'm Tanner. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>